Hey everyone, Wazoo here with the Wazoo Web Bytes podcast. Yeah, I thought I would start up a audio podcast to maybe help go along with some of the videos that I'm putting out on the Wazoo Web Bytes channel. Not every topic I cover is going to be uh, necessary to do video. I thought some sometimes there's some good feedback and questions that we could go over maybe more in a podcast format. That way you can enjoy it wherever you are. Whatever it is you love to do in your private time while listening to podcasts, maybe I can squeeze a little bit of time into that schedule. Yeah, I've been, throughout the videos that I've been publishing on YouTube under the Wazoo Web Bites channel, I get some extremely interesting feedback. So I first wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who leaves a comment on any of my videos that I've got on the channel. I read everything and I really appreciate all of the feedback that I've been getting. It's been really awesome to see that so many people are enjoying what I've been putting out there so far and finding it useful which is amazing. I really want to thank everyone. I can't quite put into words how difficult I find the YouTube comment interface. I don't know how much experience any of you have had with it, but I find it really atrocious and very difficult to manage. I read every single comment that gets posted, but I don't always get notifications about them from YouTube. So this is why that you might run into situations where you've taken some of your precious time to leave a comment for me and then I don't respond to it or I don't get back to you for a few days or even weeks. And it's definitely not because I'm ignoring them or you know, maybe some people might feel that their question is you know, not, uh, not good, uh, like to quote unquote to beginner or not worth my time or anything like that. And I wanna assure you right away that no, that's definitely not it. It is just difficult to track the comments that come in through the videos. So I have to really resort to basically manually checking them almost every morning when I wake up to see what's been posted and then try and help people out that way instead of relying on the YouTube comment interface that they provide in their channel studio. So I've been on the on the search for an app that'll help me do that a, a lot better. I'm sure there's something out there that social media managers use for managing their comments, but at the moment I'm I'm not there yet. So apologies if you ask something and it takes a while for me to get back to you. Anyways, so as I was saying along the way, I've been getting these incredible comments. And one came in just a short time ago that I wanted to go through, which is what really instigated this first episode of this podcast. And I really hope you enjoy the conversation that we're about to have here. So Jesper writes in, and this is on a comment on my build your own project list app with Spring Boot Server and React 18. I'll put a link to that video in the show notes for this podcast in case you wanted to check it out if you haven't yet come across it. And Jesper writes in, I'm used to seeing tutorials where there's a completely separate React application that communicates with the Spring Boot application. What you did here is to make them into one, which confuses me a bit. My apologies. Okay, maybe I'll finish reading before I interject my, my own thoughts here. One, is this a good way of building a web app with Spring and React? Two, how does it scale when you have a bigger web app with many pages? Three, why do we still need Thymeleaf? 
Four, is this approach only viable for hobby projects or does it work well in enterprise apps as well? Overall, it seems pretty straightforward. I'm just confused as to why I've never seen this before. Thanks for the video. Just Jisper, thank you so much for these comments. Not even comments, for these four questions. These four questions are definitely not quote-unquote beginner-only beginner questions. I've been faced with these same four questions, variations of these four questions, throughout my entire career as a web developer so far. They raise their heads quite a bit. And so let's go through each of these and try to break it down. And hopefully I can provide you some insight and extra information on sort of my thinking process behind each one. And maybe that'll help shape maybe how you think about it or you even feel free to debate me. I'm totally not the expert on everything here, of course. Okay, so first of all, which one would we start with? I guess we'll start with number one. Is this a good way of building a web app with Spring and React? Instead of limiting this conversation to React, I'm just going to generalize it as any front-end framework. So whether you're using Angular, React, or Backbone, or Ember, or Vue, pick whatever your favorite front-end framework is here, and it could almost apply in this conversation. So is this a good way of building a web app? This is, of course, a very nuanced question where it really does depend on what you're building and what kind of constraints you have on where you're deploying your application to. So in the world of web development, there's usually a architecture discussion here where you have what's called a single page architecture or SPA for short versus the traditional monolith, which is you could basically consider it as a multi-page architecture. The MPA acronym doesn't really roll off the tongue very well, does it? So you've got SPA versus MPA or monolith. I'll just, re I'll rename that as monolith. So in a traditional monolith, which is you could maybe think of it as Ruby on Rails or a traditional monolith built with Spring Boot and Timeleaf, which is where the, the server is in charge of processing the routing request from the application, from the browser, and then rendering the necessary components on that page after it has finished performing all of the backend controller logic based on each route. And so this means that a lot of times you get the, uh, you can take advantage nowadays of a lot of caching that's in the browser. This all started, by the way, maybe we should take one step back and just go through how this all started. So this all started about, oh my, uh, 15, maybe 15 or so years ago. It's probably a little bit longer, but around 15 or so years ago when working with JavaScript is and the browser in general was definitely not what it what it is today and a lot there was there were there were many arguments to be had there around the redundancy of unnecessary requests to the server so when you have any kind of resource on your web page uh, images javascript which are in little script tags etc there is a hit to the server for every single resource that you're requesting so back then you had to be extremely careful about the amount of times you were making requests to the back end as well as the size of each payload 
that you were making the request for. Um, it was a real constraint back 15, 20 years ago, and I guess even today to some extent if you're developing only for the mobile platform. But let's let's keep this conversation on desktop for now. Just we're sort of assuming a traditional desktop browser web application. There was a lot of concern back then about how long it would take for these server round trips. So you'd make the request from the browser and then the server would respond and then it would process the HTML on the view coming back and then make another make other additional requests for things like extra JavaScript, extra images, CSS, things like that. So it made sense at the time to discuss trying to quote unquote bundle all this into a single payload that would come down and then contain everything that the application needed. So this is where the SPA framework sort of started to be created, uh, conceptualized, is that you had this ability to download um, a bundle of JavaScript, and then it would handle all of your processing for routes that you had in your front end. It could render different pages without needing an assets and CSS, and it wouldn't have to go to the back end to make all these additional requests. So you were quote unquote saving a lot of this bandwidth, a lot of this processing time, and keeping everything in the browser. Now, a lot of issues spawn from this approach, which of course we didn't really encounter until you you get further into the world of SPA. And by then you're you're committed. And so you have to kind of handle these things. Anyways, I won't get too far into the into the rabbit holes of authentication, authorization, and securing uh, server assets, etc. You've got these two traditional approaches to building web applications. Both are still viable options. So you can use a SPA in, in, the, in my video on this React project. We are embedding a React application as a in this, in the video that Jesper is asking this question about, I'm going through the process of embedding a React application inside of your Spring Boot server. All right, number two. How does it scale when you have bigger web app apps with many pages? This is a very complicated question, believe it or not. It's not a simple, this is the proper thing to do, X and Y. It is a very dependent question again on where you're deploying your application to how many people you think will be using it etc so scaling involves many different aspects not just speed not just delivery but also in terms of being able to maintain it so you could have a very performant web application but if it's very difficult for your team, for you or your team, to enhance it or work on it or fix bugs on it or get it out to production, then I would, I would argue that it, that does not scale very well at all. Even if it's very performant under high traffic, even if you, 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 know, like you have several million visitors a day, etc., like that kind of level of, of use. If it if it's extremely difficult for your team to to support and to get out there, then 
that's not really what you want either because then it, it costs a lot of money just to make simple changes. So when someone comes to you uh, on the team and says, yeah, I just need to make, you know, update some marketing copy on this page. And then you have to rebuild your entire app and go through whatever kind of pipeline you have to get it from your machine, the changes on your machine out to production, that those few little lines of copy could cost you like a week's worth of salary or time or, or both, right? So I would argue that that's not very well scalable either. Again, both, at, both approaches scale, scale very well. It just comes down to how you organize and structure your project. I've seen both approaches work very well with millions of hits in terms of visitors, in terms of traffic, in terms of usage on web apps. So both approaches work. Hopefully that begins to address your question there. Okay, so number three, why do we still need Thymeleaf? Now, in terms of this this project, I would say that for what I'm doing, I'm just looked to, I'm just uh, taking a look at the code right now, and for what we're doing, we don't need Thymeleaf. I could have done this tutorial without that dependency. We're not making use of it anywhere. We're not rendering anything that's Thymeleaf dependent. So that's definitely a bug. A quote-unquote bug on my part. Sorry, Jesper, I didn't mean to introduce confusion into that. So, if you're listening, then for your, that that question, it, we definitely don't need Thymeleaf for the way I'm using it in React. So, number four, is this approach only viable for hobby projects, or does it work well in enterprise apps as well? So, I think when Jesper asks this approach, to me, I'm reading that as again, do we keep do we bundle our application within our spring boot server or do we have a separate deployment somewhere that is responsible for our markup and javascript and front end basically our front end application there and again i think this depends on what you want to do but it is viable for any project so it scales for hobby as well as for enterprise applications you can have a you can easily split up your application into having just a deployment that manages your backend let's say you just have your api managed by spring boot so all of that can be done somewhere you release it either on your on a server in your environment or on amazon a private amazon network instance and then on a different on a different port or a different server or whatever, you have your front-end bundle. That's one way you can manage the deployment of this. And then that way you can have, if you have different teams working on each, you could have one team working on the backend, making continuous changes and updates to what's going on on the API server without needing to worry about affecting what's happening in the front end. Of course, you know, uh, you don't want to break any API, but assuming you're not breaking any any API contract, you can the server side team can continue on and do whatever they need to do on the server and work independently of the front end. And at the same time the front end can do whatever they need to do on the front end if their deployment is separate from the server side. Now, if you're in a situation where both are together, deployed together as it is in this demo application for this uh, for the video in question, 
you can still work pretty much the same way. It's just there has to be a lot more communication between your front end and back end developers because then you're going to be bundling up the front end to deploy along with the back end on each release. So this approach is totally viable for both. Um, either approach works. I should say either approach works for both. You just have to make sure that your people are communicating with each other. And I think that's the key to just about everything. It's not just for, you know, making sure that this, that a, an approach you want to use is viable for your, for your technology or for your application. Sorry. I would say that uh, Jesper ends off this comment with, I'm just confused as to why I've never seen this before. So the other reason is that it is, it just, I think personally, this is just me personally talking here. This isn't anything in the industry, but I think on YouTube, it's a lot easier and quicker to make content where you're just typing in create react app and creating something there or using the angular CLI, any front end CLI to generate a project. And it makes it a whole lot easier. You don't have to worry about the setting up, you know, the Spring Boot project to bundle your front end framework. There's a lot of sort of intricate steps that you have to, you, you only have to do, once you know them, it's easy to do it for every project after that. But it's the first time of putting that together. That's, it takes some time to make sure you've, you've got everything bundled up correctly. So I think a lot of that is also coming down to the, the time it takes to create content for YouTube and tutorials in general. It is, a, I do find it a little bit easier to, as a content creator, I would find it easier to, you can split up your content so you could have one video just for creating a React app all on its own. And then you can watch that independently of maybe a video that I do on working with Spring Boot, right? So. Right away, I'm, I'm able to get two videos of content out of this setup versus the one that I have right now where I go through creating the Spring Boot server and then the necessary functionality to bundle the front-end framework inside of it. I just prefer that way in terms of being able to showcase what it's kind of like building and working on a, for lack of a better phrase, a, a real web application. A lot of them are still built that way. I think again, hopefully, a lot of this input helps you helps you out there in terms of going through these questions. I wish there were more better ways of answering this, other than it depends, because I know that must sound pretty annoying. It must sound like I'm sitting on the fence on all these, and I'm really not. I'm honestly trying to communicate that it really does depend on what kind of app you're building, where you want to deploy this, how many people you think are going to be using it, the audience basically, as well as your kind of the budget you have available and how many people you have in your team. Is it just you or are you in a team of three people or 10 people or 50 people, right? So there's a lot that goes into each of these kind of architecture questions. So it doesn't just make it a quick yes or no, A, B, or C, when X, Y, and Z is true, right? So hopefully that's a, that provides input into how these things can get put together. And if you have any other questions, if anyone out there has any questions on this, questions that you want to see me go through, then feel free to either send them to me 
or just make a comment on a YouTube video. And I will, of course, like I said, read them and take it from there and hopefully make it part of a, another podcast. Another, another benefit of doing it sort of in this audio podcast format is that it kind of gives, gives me a way of self-editing a lot of this. Uh, I find that it's the tough part about making these videos on YouTube, these tutorial videos. It's very fun, but you, I have to be really sure that I nail every single point in the video. If I leave anything out by accident, then there's no way for me to update the video on YouTube. It's sort of immutable. It's like set in stone once I upload it. And having sort of a podcast follow-up gives me a way of, okay, you know, I made some mistakes. I forgot this. I forgot that. And gives you sort of extra information if you're trying to go through some of these tutorials and you come across your own questions on what's happening and why. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share this podcast and leave a rating on review. It really helps just like on YouTube. It helps the podcast algorithm spread around what spread the show around to others as I get episodes out there. All right. I hope you're having a good day wherever you are. And thanks for listening. Peace, everyone.